Hello there, welcome along to the podcast Sport and Life. It is Wednesday, December the 23rd, 2020. I hope your preparations for Christmas are going well. However, you have been affected by the pandemic, what your restrictions are, wherever you are listening into the world. Thank you for hitting on that button. Really good to, to have you here and appreciate your support of the podcast. On that note, thank you as ever to the sponsors, Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serena V, specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands, providing solutions based around high quality customer service and installations. Hugely appreciative of Jason Briggs and his team's support of the podcast and has really helped uh, develop it this year. 20,000 listeners since the pandemic began in March, um, which is fantastic. So I've been able to put a little bit of effort in there and appreciate you all listening and we'll continue to work on it, particularly the technical side and the audio side, trying to improve that in 2021. New microphones, etc., etc. Did buy new microphones, clip mics, but then obviously haven't been able to do many <laughs> interviews in person this year in 2020. Um, because of the complications and restrictions, et cetera, et cetera. Even have uh, two meter long cables and stuff like that for social distancing, six plus feet, if you're listening in the States. But it's, uh, yeah, very, very strange time, isn't it? But Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV, check out Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham's website, their social media, Twitter and Instagram, B&O Cheltenham on there. And if you're looking for any uh, bargains after Christmas, before Christmas, if you're leaving it late, then Serene AV will source equipment other than Bang Olufsen's fine audio uh, equipment, these sort of historic record players, that kind of stuff. So thank you to Jason and his team. Thank you to Cytoplan for the association with the podcast this year, company we've been, as a family, consuming their food-based supplements for 20 years, looking to optimise our immunity under the stewardship of my father, Dr. Mark Draper, who is a general practitioner, doctor in the Cotswolds, not far from me in England, picturesque region, but he's worked around the world as an anaesthetist as well and various different hats in his time, including micronutrition, has run nutrition courses, has worked as a consultant with Cytoplan, and he firmly believes that for a couple of reasons, industrial farming being one of them, the lower caloric intake of people in general in the Western world, particularly the UK where, where we're based, has made him believe that you need to top up to optimize your immunity, particularly trace elements like selenium and zinc at this time of year as I look out my window and drizzly gray, although there's a slight shaft of sunlight coming through the gray clouds, so maybe uh, it'll be a brighter day ahead. Let's let's hope so. But there's not much vitamin, vitamin D3 around in the UK, which it's fledgling research, isn't it, about the importance to immunity. There was a study, and you can read it on Sky News and BBC, saying that there was inconclusive early research on the importance specifically for COVID-19 of building resistance against the virus through vitamin D3 supplements. But it was certainly non-conclusive. It wasn't conclusive that it wasn't. So that's an interesting area. And general health and the research into to how it improves our immunity is, is interesting. But I'm taking a supplement from Cytoplan called Immune Complete 2, which pretty much has uh, everything your, your immune system requires minus iron. So women would take, menstruating women would take Immune Complete 1. But if you go to cytoplan.co.uk, C-Y-T-O-P-L-A-N.co.uk, you can get a 10% discount with the code DRAPER10R, all capital letters, D-R-A-P-E-R, the numerals 1-0, and the capital letter R. So that's cytoplan.co.uk. I think it's actually 30% off your initial purchase. And uh, in the UK, the postal system may well be after Christmas, you would receive it now if you ordered but 30% off the initial purchase and 
thereafter if you use the code and uh, feel free to pass it on to loved ones i hope you're well i know my work as a broadcaster at sky sports been encouraged to try and stave off even the regular coughs and colds just for perception as a television broadcaster for the viewers and i guess of members of staff as well i'm going into work unlike a lot of people and I suppose there's an anxiety that's sort of reared up isn't it when we hear coughs and sneezes even in the street at the moment so i do hope you're well particularly with the sort of concerning story about the new variant and that possibly have a, a level of increased transmissibility i suppose working on our immunity trying to get the rest the sleep the exercise the organic food if you can the whole food less processed food maybe not too much alcohol this time of year, the key elements, the key messages that I've spoken to experts throughout the years. And one of those experts is John Hudson, the UK military's chief survival instructor, and he's the guest for this podcast. Just reading on his website here, he is the British military's chief S-E-R-E, which is survival, evasion, resistance, and extraction instructor. I think it's extracting people. Um, not some sort of fan or, or anything like that. Uh, but he's been a, res- a resident survival expert on two series of Discovery's primetime show, Survive That as well. And dude, you're screwed in the USA, putting his own resilience to the test on camera in front of millions. It's brilliant. Um, so check him out, John Hudson, on social media as well, with his uh, pictures of, of building kind of shelters in the woods and things like that, and, and all different types of climates as well, from frozen tundras to jungles and rainforests. He's a good guy, and I met him at the Cheltenham Wellbeing Festival last year and spoke to him previously on the podcast as well, and we touched upon it, but wanted to go into more depth on the concept of stoicism at the moment with all the external stimuli that, that would arouse anxiety and fear, the news, the pandemic itself, the concept of our mortality, and how perhaps we can embrace the sort of the sense of life being finite. And that's easy to say when I've been relatively untouched by this virus in terms of any severity, but I think there are there are mindset approaches that people in the past have have uh, used and retained a sort of internal positive equilibrium in the face of much greater adversity than I face certainly this year in terms of being locked in torturous situations as a captive in war situations or or, or islands where they're str- where they're stranded and, and isolated, which John knows all about. So here he is, a fantastic guy. Check him out online, John Hudson, the survival expert and the UK military's chief survival instructor. John Hudson, welcome along Hi. to the podcast once again. Great to, <laughs> great to speak to you, mate. How are you? I'm very well, Ed. Thanks ever so much for the invite. It's always nice to catch up. But yeah, to answer your question, I'm very well, thanks. How have you been keeping? Yeah, I'm well. I'm well. I think it's interesting. I just spoke to a guy called Spencer Fearon, who's a former boxer and boxing promoter. And he was saying, actually, that mm. he was saying that, you know, we should be just sort of, great, I guess, grateful for what we have in life. He's yeah. known double, double figures of people who have passed away, some through COVID oh, and other God. things in recent really? months. So, yeah, he's he had a different perspective on it than me, certainly, because the family members that I've mm. had have, have sort of shaken it off relatively um, quickly. And although there's some sort of... Good. You know, sort of effect of it afterwards but I think um yeah it's a, a completely different perspective but actually I've thought a lot about you know what we talked about controlling the controllable but also how lucky yes. you are in terms of you know having I've got Carla and Zoe and a, a bit of a family mm. and you know that's been mm. a big, big thing this year but very yeah, surreal yeah, yeah. because we spoke in the sort of foothills of this this expedition into the pandemic didn't we and it was yeah we did it, we didn't know yeah. if it was going to carry on at that point it was sort of a, a welcome novelty for people but I think the protracted nature of it has psychologically been difficult to, to deal with. Yeah. You, if you pay attention to too much of the noise, isn't it? I suppose is how you 
how you sort yeah. of think reflect upon it. I don't know how you've thought upon it and, and your previous writings and talkings on, on stoicism mm. and, and the people that mm. you've talked about as well mm. in, in enemy camps and the mindset, mm. the mindset seems key for people, doesn't it this year? Because there's so much yeah. in the external world to, uh, I guess, to make us anxious, to yeah. make us fearful and, and, and worried yeah. in a sense and, and, and sort of animated in a way. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, and I'm, I'm pleased to hear that you know you, your experience hasn't been hasn't been that harsh. But obviously, it, it's not been the same for everyone, has it? And we've been no. quite lucky here as well. Um, but it, it definitely does map onto those things we spoke about last time. And I, I like your description of the foothills of it because it does seem like it's one of those mountain <laughs> ranges where you're never quite sure if that is a false summit or if it's just another yeah. little. You know, are we on the, the downside peak. of it or yeah. not? It's hard to tell. It is. I think they definitely believe that there is realistic hope at the, you know, at the end of this tunnel with the vaccine and things that are coming down the way now. So I'm hopeful, definitely hopeful that things are genuinely improving. But like you say, it's been, it's been really difficult to know how long this thing's going to last. And like you, you mentioned just then, it's, it's definitely maps onto the stuff that I deal with when we're looking at people who are in real world survival situations and they don't know how long it'll last for and that's one of the hardest things to deal with that unknown quantity mm. wasn't there wasn't there prisoners or is it japanese fighters are in jungles and they came out 20 years later in the 60s and thought the war was still on or something yeah, like that yeah. was uh, an example yeah. and the examples i thought of the his name has slipped me but the the american air force pilot who we talked about previously who was yeah. who was captured and you yeah. know, your ability to maintain that mindset, Victor Frankl in, in Man's Search for mm. Meaning in the Holocaust, yeah. being able to yeah. control your, your mindset. Because I was reading about Stoicism in Esquire magazine mm. of all places, and they were citing oh, yeah. Marcus Aurelius, obviously Roman yes. Emperor, and, and his attitude to life being the mm. sense that, that you have to try and control your internal environment when everything around yeah. you is, is turbulent. And I suppose relatively, you know, if we're lucky enough to have food in the, in the sort of in the fridge roof over our heads and you know netflix yeah. and whatever else it's not too <laughs> arduous by those standards but the problem is it's what you pay what you pay attention to i guess isn't it is, is part of the stoicism yeah. because if you pay attention to all the the headlines and the worry and the concern and the doomsday scenarios over the economy mm. you can actually get yourself in a in a negative internal state yeah you can and you you're right because it, it's all about what you choose to uh, to focus on and and that really it's the key. It's what you can control and what you can't control. And um, the people that you mentioned, I think the difference perhaps between some of the, the Japanese guys who held out, and I think Hiro Inado was the longest until mid 70s, 74 Whoa. from the top of my head. Wow. But then that, the interesting part, there's a few parts to that because he was actually in a team of three for many of those years. And it was only after the last member of his team wasn't with him anymore that he really struggled with the isolation part of it. You know, so the last six months he was on his own. And, you know, admittedly, he'd been hiding out and fighting since 1945, you know, from incredible stuff. But he'd chosen to do that. And it was only when he became isolated that it got really, really difficult for him. Who was he fighting few... in his, his mind's eye? Was he still fighting the, the Allies yeah. at that point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He'd, he'd maintained his officer's sword and his issue rifle, and he, he would... Initially, they were doing little raids. I mean, in the end, he just ended up thieving from the local farmers. But oh, yeah, wow. he, was, he was sort of actively resisting as best he could. But yeah, but that was, that was through his own choice. You know, he'd been ordered to go there by a superior officer and then he'd chosen to, to obey orders and stay there. And it was only when his commander came and told him to come out of the bushes in 1974 that he surrendered. But when you look at the other guys that you mentioned, I think their, their experiences more closely map to people's experiences of this pandemic because people like Lance Sajan, who we spoke about last time. Yeah. But also, more importantly, probably, is a, an American prisoner called Jim Stockdale, who ended up as an admiral in the Navy. He was the, 
the person who really fired me up about stoicism, which is what we'll probably chat most about, when I read his work called Master of My Fate. Now, Jim Stockdale's interesting because unlike Hiro Inada, who'd chosen to fight in the jungle, Jim had chosen to fly a jet and bomb targets, but he hadn't chosen to be shot down and he certainly hadn't chosen to become a prisoner of war. You know, he knew it was a risk, but he, he hadn't expected or indeed you know, wanted that to happen, obviously. He was a prisoner of war for seven and a half years, eight, almost wow. eight years. For four years, he was in solitary confinement in the Hano Hilton. For two of those four years, his legs were in irons and he had a light bulb continuously on, oh, on man. his own. Yeah, it's so exactly. Yeah. So we're talking about, oh, Netflix is a bit iffy this week. <laughs> yeah. right? So he's now, he's got four years in solitary, two of which were in leg irons with a light bulb on. That is impossible for me to imagine. You know, mm. it's just too difficult. And yet, and yet, he managed to get through that because of his stoic beliefs. Now, stoicism is often these days given the shorthand of kind of being able to grit your teeth or, yeah. uh, or, or deal with suffering. Of, devoid of emotion or something, isn't it really? Is it how you yeah, it kind of is. It, yeah, yeah it's sort of, and that's quite a negative view of it. But, and I'm not a philosopher by any means. I'm certainly not going to, you know, stand on a, a chest and, and start, you know, doing preaching about this sort of stuff. But it's a very, very useful and powerful tool to have in your armory if you've got to deal with difficult things. Because um, he, this Admiral Jim Stockdale was actually a, a philosopher as well as mm. a, a military aviator. And he'd studied stoicism at university level. Mm. And so when he was in his cockpit, when he's, he's finally ejected over enemy territory, he had straight within reach the, the works, because it was in his mind, the works of another stoic philosopher called Epictetus. And there's a book called the Enchiridon, which loosely translated means the handbook. And if you were to really oversimplify thousands and thousands of years worth of philosophy, <laughs> yeah. it, it, it boils down to those things that you can control are worth worrying about. Those things that you can't control, don't worry about them. And, yeah. you, you know, that's a dramatic oversimplification of stoicism as a philosophy. But I think it's valuable at the moment because there are things that we can all do to make our our situation better be it mentally or just you know in the house and there are things that we cannot control so don't worry about the stuff you can't control but if there is something you can can control to do with all the good drills about social distancing etc then do it because mm -hmm. you know you, you're exerting a bit of control over your situation then and as we spoke about last time Ed, once you control your situation then you maintain that vital ingredient for any of these survival scenarios be it a pandemic or ejecting over enemy territory and that is hope yeah yeah, hope, exactly. Yeah, working towards hope. And you feel like at the moment, if you were purely letting the external environment dictate your emotional barometer, mm. you'd be going up and down with infection rates and tear levels mm. and, and everything else, wouldn't you? There's yeah. a daily, daily change that is firmly beyond your control, unless you yeah. are like some kind of super spreader who's massively affecting it. I think, um, <laughs> you know, most of us are just sort of part, sort of standing by and, and listening to yeah. that on the news. And, and actually, if you go up and down with that, then it's, uh, mm. it's But I suppose it's difficult for us because of the comfort we've grown up in, where the external environment could almost dictate our internal environment when you're not challenged it's almost a skill that we've had to learn yeah. over the past few months unless we've had severe adversity in our life we all had some adversity but maybe yeah. not for this extended period of time and, and, oh. so, and so far removed from us in a sense I totally agree I totally agree Ed. and I think that the fascinating thing now is that everyone on the planet has experienced some form of hardship even if it is you know the the ivory towered end of our social structure, people have had their Netflix removed for a small period <laughs> of time you know to, to exaggerate and obviously make a yeah. daft point but we've all, to some degree, we've all experienced a new hardship. And my, my day job, my teaching survival to military survival instructors, all we're actually trying to do is give the people who come through our doors a small dose of hardship that they may or may not have experienced before in the outdoors mm. so that they're vaccinated 
for future hardship should they end up camping without a tent in enemy territory. Mm. It's as simple as that. And by having this global experience, we've all had this experience of some hardship. We have all inoculated ourselves a little bit to hardship. Even if that's just a kind of a, um, a small restriction in our normal liberties or our normal comforts and yeah. are having to do things slightly differently, we will all appreciate those things that we've missed when they come back. And they will come back. That's the important thing to remember. It might be slightly different, but at some point, whatever it was you enjoyed that you can't do during lockdown, you will eventually be able to do that again. You know, yes. Those things are coming back. It's interesting the parallels. I heard Tony Robinson, who I listen to from time to time, had a podcast, mm. and he was talking about the importance in this and the cycles that he'd been through, actually, in terms of mm. someone who's sort of internationally prodigious in terms of running courses around the world and businesses. And he said about, mm. you know, the frustration, the cycles we went through and the emotions of it, but then how acceptance was the key stage to reach in this and, and learning how to maybe adapt your business or yeah. just physically and internally come to terms with the, the way things are. That's probably something I'd imagine that, that resonates with people in survival situations, isn't it? Acceptance of where you yeah. are and the reality of the situation and focusing on that. Yeah, and, and to misquote Darwin, because it wasn't uh, it, Darwin who said it, but it's not the strongest nor fittest that survival, it's the most adaptable. That certainly applies in, in my world because there, it's absolutely impossible to teach um, future F-35 pilots what she or he should do in a bushcraft sense around the world, because there's too much to know, just too mm. much to know. You know, you, you, it's impossible to instill that into someone's head. It'd be like trying to learn every single sport to expert <laughs> level. You just can't do it. So what we have to do is give them a kind of a mental skeleton key to unlock the potential of the environment they may land into. And that's adaption to give someone the very, very fundamental principles that they can then develop themselves, the tools that they can then use to, to work on that, that challenge. That, it's a cognitive challenge because if you don't have some form of start point for these things, and like, um, like you were saying, you don't have some form of um, adaptable sort of um, golf bag that you can pluck the right club from, then you are going to sit there and think about what to do. And if you yeah. sit somewhere still for too long thinking about what to do, there are loads of examples from my, my day job of people who've been found frozen to, you know, uh, fallen trees in the forest where they just sat down and had to be chiseled off by the recovery team that were there to rescue them, but they never got going at minus 30. So, they, yeah. you know, they didn't make it out. So you have to have that um, spark plug of some form of a skeleton key that will let your adaptability engine go. And that's, that's what we teach at, at my day job. And it's what I've tried to convey in the, the writing that I've done. It's that it's very easy to pick that skeleton key up. It demands a little bit of effort to learn some of the fundamental skills, but it really isn't hard. It's as simple as, you know, maybe reading something for half an hour and you've got the basics. And then once mm. you've learned that, you can apply it. There's some great examples of people who've just picked up actual survival skills from watching things on TV and learned how to use stuff. You know, that, there's countless examples of that kind of thing. So yeah. if, you, if you really focus and you're not doing it by accident and just picking up collateral information, if you choose to pick up these like adaptation skills, this perseverance skill I'm, I'm trying to get across, then you can, you can get through these sorts of things much mm. more easily than if you were just doing it in a kind of um, intuitive or naive way, if you know what I mean. Yeah, it's fascinating, this, the survival metaphor and, and say a, an, an air pilot crashing into the woods in, in the relevance mm. to this, because thinking about it, the, where you centre your attention seems paramount in, yeah. in all aspects of, of how you respond to a situation, yeah. because we've all been part of this. We've all had 
WhatsApp threads or phone conversations mm. with family members saying, oh, you know, if only we'd have locked down the, the, the airports in mm. January, we should have done this, yeah. should have done that. We should have, yeah. you know, been more libertarian, let people make their own decisions, et cetera, et cetera. But the, the reality is we are where we are and we have to sort of exactly. focus on that. And it's similarly, if a pilot was sort of sat in a wood uh, lamenting yeah. his decisions that led to a crash or lamenting his decision mm. to join mm. the air force or whatever it might mm. be or <laughs> the fact that the fact that he ate a you know some dodgy food that gave him a stomach yeah. bug or before he got he yeah. might have had you know but you see what i mean yeah. that he actually you have to be I in do. the moment don't you, you have to operate you according do, to what, what's at hand i suppose it's the it's the yeah. relevant metaphor for us at the moment it, it really is and you've, you've hit the nail on the head again because we see that time and again and it doesn't have to be a real world survival thing for these sorts of um, things to be exhibited normally and I've seen it in real life quite a few times on courses and after a, like disasters that we've been unlucky enough to be to be near as they've unfolded but mm. you'll see people and it's normally a feeling of guilt because they feel that somehow it's their responsibility and what tends to happen is they'll kind of sit down and they normally end up resting their elbows on their knees and then resting their forehead area normally in their in the flat of their palms of their hands so you get this sort of stooped over negative fetal position and it's yeah. very ruminative they, they, they tend to just sit there and yeah. not move unless somebody from outside will extrinsically motivate them and if you imagine trying to do that in like the freezing woods it, it doesn't take long at all until you, you <laughs> lose your body heat and you know down but you're right in, in order to avoid that you need to know first and foremost that actually I can't control when we get locked down, when we don't get locked down. I'm not in charge of any of those decisions. I have to roll with that as it's played out before me, much like a sportsman or sportsman mm. does on the pitch. But mm. as long as you've got that goal at the end that you know what you're trying to get to, once you've got that goal, in combination with this stoic principle of knowing what you can control and knowing what you can't control, and relying on your own skills that you've developed, be it through hardship inoculation or training, whatever it may be, then you do see, even if it's not a straight line, you do see a path to success. Yeah. And you accept that there's going to be barriers and obstacles and you know, things to get over, under, round or through, but you will get there eventually. And that's the key that keeps people going, having small goals between the ultimate and the, and the sort of where they're stood now. It's interesting that, that the depiction, I can see it in my mind's eye of someone you say slump forward like that. And yeah. how, how, how key is the, in terms of what we control, our physiology, if we are able body mm. and, and able to, in mm. terms of mm. how we hold our body and our head, because those things yeah. seem almost insignificant to what's going on in our brain, but they have a deep resonant well, do. effect don't they on not only our feelings yeah. but our thoughts yeah they do and um, the person who springs to mind when you when you mention that is amy cuddy the social psychologist mm. and what she's described really eloquently in a book called presence and you might have seen her ted talk is that these these postures that we adopt actually affect our brain chemistry the cortisol and testosterone levels that are washing up and down inside all of our brains will be negatively or positively affected by posture and so if you find yourself slumping and slouching like that the best thing to do is to stand or if you can you know make yourself upright and occupy a bigger space and she calls it power posing in her uh, in her work and it's quite a, an eloquent way of describing yeah. it but one of the ways one of the poses she describes is like the wonder woman pose you know with your, your kind of your feet shoulders width apart and your hands on your hips yeah so you're in a dominant positive posture it's hard it's hard to feel negative when you're like that though if you do it if you do it now it's, oh, yeah. it's hard to feel negative isn't it it is isn't it exactly the point so but interestingly you feel positive when you do it because your brain chemistry is rebalancing into a much more positive uh, mix mm. so it's it's actually been proven these feedback loops that we can change the way we feel by the way we we hold ourselves it's as true that you can have a negative impact by being more fetal and more curled up and defensive but by occupying a little bit of space being a little bit more kind of positive and assertive in your 
in your posture, you can rebalance your, your headspace, yeah. which I think is really important because if you didn't know that, then it'd be easy not to kick yourself out of slumping, wouldn't it? You know, yeah. you're not yeah. going to intervene in your own uh, kind of negative instincts. So yeah, try, 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 and fight, try and fight the thoughts rather than change the, yes. the physiology that it's more easy to do, really, isn't it? Than sitting there yeah, and precisely. Like battle with yourself. Mm. Yeah, that's it. Exactly that. You know, you, you can kickstart your own engine. There's loads of ways of doing it. That's just one. But yeah, I, I like those sorts of things. That, that's pertinent, actually. To, I'm just thinking about defeated sports people, actually, men and women, when they lose, mm. they somehow over on the track, say, or on the pitch, and they yeah. have that perspective. And I'm thinking in contrast to one of my childhood heroes was Eric Cantona at Manchester United. And what he was Not do, Leeds. Uh, <laughs> well, he was at Leeds, obviously, before. He won the title <laughs> with Leeds, didn't he, in 92? Yeah, yeah. And he moved yeah. to United. He was a catalyst for, uh, you know, that kind of... Um, yeah, that was one for 20... my nephew. Jake's a big Leeds fan. Oh, yeah. Well, he was, he was good at Leeds as well, to be fair. Yeah, yeah. Charismatic Sorry, character. But he was that... But, you know, I was just thinking about him because one of the, the things that people would always cite about him was what yeah. you'd often do if you made a mistake on the pitch, typically your body language would be to shrink, to slump, to sort yeah. of try to hide away. But he'd stand there. He's a big guy, six feet two anyway, and he had that sort of... Mm -hmm classic Gallic sort of flair to him, but he'd stand with his chest thrust out, puffed out yeah. like a robin. And actually yeah. you think in retrospect, not only was that to sort of demonstrate that to the external world, but possibly that had an internal effect on him that he wasn't oh, yeah. affected yeah, adversely bounce, isn't it? By, by missing an open goal or whatever it might be. He wasn't kind of going to shrink inside and that would affect his, his chances of then scoring the next one because he was, he was maintaining mm. his physiology and his, his positivity. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, but that kind of intimidation almost that makes you feel better as a sports person. And, and I guess there's a, there's a bevy of New Zealand rugby players who know exactly what we're talking about from mm. that kind of opening hacker. Yeah, uh, it does make sense. And Cantona certainly used to strut about a bit as well, didn't he? So <laughs> he did. that, that in its own way would probably wind the opposition up, I guess. Yes. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily endorse all the things he did, because I think in terms of controlling no. his emotions, he probably wasn't necessarily up there. In, uh, <laughs> Not, he, he, certainly no. was, he wasn't always focused on the internal, and he could be affected and, uh, and sort of uh, sparked by the external, for sure. I think that's fair to say. People could look up Cantona if you're too young to remember him. And his, uh, <laughs> his, his, colourful, his colourful career in football yeah, and yeah. beyond um but it's yeah that's an interesting one one of the interesting things i think with the person in survival situation what they're having to cope yeah. with i suppose is the reality of the threat of death yes um, not to be morbid yeah, but, and i wonder threat. i wonder if there's a parallel there because we are being bombarded with headlines i know we touched upon this mm. before about mm. a lot of people maybe for them it's almost death's all strange one that we know it's happening but we kind of avoid ourselves kid ourselves that it's not going to happen to us and, and maybe now that sense of mortality is being thrust upon us. And I know that Marcus Aurelius and the Stoics had a sort yeah. of embracing philosophy of, of death, didn't they? In a sense of you have a certain yeah. amount of time, you make the most of while you're here and you never know quite when it's, it's going to go. Because it's a famous quote in Gladiator, isn't it? Which I'm not sure how accurate it is. But when, <laughs> yeah. um, when, when Russell Crowe says, you know, a friend of mine said that death smiles at us all. All we, all we can do is smile back. And uh, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that was quoting Marcus Aurelius in theory. I don't know whether that was actually something he'd written in, in real life. But, uh, he's certainly, he's certainly the, like the kind of things he would say in his writings, yeah, in his meditations. It's like those things. I've not, I've not read them all from cover to cover. I've dipped in and out of them a lot. But yeah, it, it is um, that mentality, that acceptance that life is short and that, not, that gratitude for what we have, which is kind of what you opened up with, I think, talking about you know, being grateful for the, the things we have and not the, these hardships that we're encountering aren't as bad as they could have been. And certainly mm. for not, not true for everyone, I suppose, but it, it could it could always be worse. That's something I always tell myself if I'm doing a particularly mentally or physically challenging survival experience, it could always be worse. There's always something that mm. could make it worse. And I'm always grateful that it hasn't. Uh, but equally, I'm, I'm mindful that it could. So I'm, I'm ready to accept that when that comes. And 
And that's very true of that um, Marcus Aurelian take on Stoicism because of the times they lived in, you know, the, the Roman era was pretty brutal and life was short and often when it ended, it ended in a fairly horrible yeah. way. So, His whole you know, family that, was that, killed by a plague, wasn't it, or something like that? Is that right? Is, is that, that right? I yeah. think so, yeah. Some sort uh, of pestilence or disease that, mm. that, that maybe his troops have brought back, I think, from one of their expeditions. Oh, really? Well, yeah. Yeah. No, well that's, that's um, you know, pertinent at the moment, I suppose. So, yeah, yeah you, you kind of, if you know that... that um, life is precious then you're grateful for it aren't you and, and it takes that um, that proximity to, to hardship and, to, and suffering to appreciate that when we are like you said earlier we are very fortunate in these modern times that we're not we're not living cheek by jail with suffering routinely we're really not you know we the things that we bemoan are often hashtag first world problems it's not it's not real real hardship so yeah I, I think the stoic philosophy is very very pertinent for the times we're living through at the moment with the pandemic it's almost a sporting metaphor, that perspective, isn't it? Like thinking yourself as having a 90 minutes or whatever it would be, 70, mm. 80 years, 90 years in, 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 of a life and, and try to utilise it and play your best over that time almost sometimes helps me because and, and, re yeah. and recognising time as, as our most precious commodity and mm. trying, to make, trying to make the most of it. And if making the most of it is, is simplistically how we feel for most of it, I suppose, and, and, how, we can, mm. um, and how we can enjoy it as much as possible. Yeah, and enjoy it. And... and um, be grateful for the people that are around us who we care about you know that's the classic thing that people will come back to and one of my favorite quotes that you touched upon a minute ago about about time is that it's the one commodity we cannot buy any more of mm. but you, you have to make the most of what you've got because you never really you never really know when it'll stop you just don't so yeah. why why not enjoy the moment like you say but make sure that you do the right thing by the people around you and that stoic philosophy of knowing what you can control and not worrying about what you can't control. And you'll enjoy it much more if you don't worry about the stuff you can't control. Cause there's no point, no point fretting about that stuff by all means, prepare for the unexpected and that'll make it easier. But if there's something that's completely out of your control, don't shed any, uh, you know, any ruminative thoughts on it. Just focus on the things you can control. Yeah, that awareness of, of death being an inevitability. And I know there's longevity experts who have read some pieces online that think that they can get human beings to live for 500 years. But still, I think there's, there's going to be an end point. And whether you'd want to live for 500 years and what kind well, yeah. of condition you'd be in is... Quality might, versus quality. Yeah, you might get a little bit bored at some point as well. I'm not quite sure <laughs> how it would work. Um, but it's an interesting concept of overcrowding as well. But generally, it's an interesting anecdote for me, observationally. I've been out for, I think, just two dinners probably in the last nine, ten months. And... What yeah. was interesting to me was a demographic, like we're late 30s. We were very much the youngest right. on both occasions when we ate out. And it, it yeah. is a sense that the elder people who are out, who you may think would be more at risk from, say, the virus, have obviously got a different perspective because they're thinking, well, how much time do I have anyway? Is the, and that's a you know, broader picture that I think we're all wrestling with. That's been part of the dilemma now for people who are vulnerable, isn't it? That they're not quite sure... On, yeah. a, on, a, on a given playing field how long they'd have even without coronavirus so if you give up a, another year or two it's so complex in, in that sense it's a tricky one isn't yeah. it because our, our biases and our instincts tend not to be brilliant you know we, we will intuitively aim for something that's going to give us a short-term reward rather than a long-term benefit and that's mm. never normally um the best answer i mean it can be in some scenarios yeah and it's cities like las vegas capitalize on that every every second you know our yeah. lack of appreciation for the long-term result and I, I do think that um while it's instinctively an option for the the sort of older people to say oh the devil may care and you know i've done this well it's not actually look considering the bigger picture because there are other people who might get brushed up against who it could you know it could impact that they don't intend to affect but the key thing with this this weird scenario we're in is that 
you can have it and not realize you've got it. And that's the real, mm. um, real sneaky move that the virus is playing. It's, it, it's that unwitting transmissions. I think it was 80% of the people who were carrying it when they mass tested up north in Liverpool, not far from where I grew up. Mm. It's 80% of the people were asymptomatic. So yeah. you, you can't just take that I'll be all right, Jack, thing. Because, well, you might well be, yeah. but the people that you encounter probably won't be. And no, that's no. Not fair. Yeah, I was just you thinking the, the older people are maybe making a calculation that they think, oh, I've only got this yeah. long left anyway. I, I don't want to oh, yeah. stay indoors for two years because I'm, I'm figuring reckon, out the balance of play. Yeah, so. Yeah, I reckon you're right, Ed. And that we, um, we, we talk a lot when we're, at, we're doing our courses about who's a good person to ask for help from if you absolutely have to. And mm. an older person tends to be a good option because they don't really care what everyone else <laughs> thinks anymore. Yeah. Yeah, they've, they, they've run their yeah. own sort of thing. Yeah, um, that's, a, that's a good going a lot at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, people are very... That's another thing that people feel very encamped on different opinions and, and don't see it as a, a nuanced debate, I suppose, which is what people want to be is either, you know, extreme pro lockdown or extreme unlockdown. And it's, it's interesting oh. that there's sort of a recognition that actually <coughs> there has to be a middle point with, with yeah. freedoms and balances. And Nothing's ever that simple, is it? No, no, it's not. But it's a fascinating one to approach. It. And I'm very cognizant that I haven't been tested anyway. And I think part of that is a big thing psychologically. A, I've kept my job. B, I've been able to yeah. go to work. B, uh, C, we're getting tested, which gives me peace of mind mm -hmm. because my mother-in-law yeah, yeah. doing a little bit of childcare, so that helps right. in, yeah. in me know that my daughter's unlikely to be carrying anything if I'm not carrying anything. So it's sort of because yeah. yeah. she would be the main source probably of where we get it from from school. So it's actually that. Right. So I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for my age being in my late thirties because I, you know, I did the eighteen twenty thing. I had. Um, yeah. I'm not in the old, I'm not in the older twilight of my life where I'm trying to kind of seize every second and, and I've got time yeah. to come hopefully yep. <laughs> fingers crossed but um <laughs> but it's it, but so i'm grateful for all that stuff and i realized that i'm not necessarily overly tested because i do have sympathy for actually bizarrely people in the sort of landmark years the sort of um i guess the the summers of our our ages of 16 18 21 yeah. those, sort of, those times where yeah. you know this very they're, they're engraved on my head you know a lot of the life yeah. now is is you've yeah. got a little, i've had a little girl so i'm restricted so it's not like i'm been denied too much but it's uh, it's an interesting different end of the spectrum i think it may be mm. people at, at different oh different mate i know what you mean we've got we've got younger nephews and nieces and it must be must be awful because a year when you're at school like between the ages of 14 and 15 it's a lifetime almost yeah. so yeah because you've got so few life experiences times filled because you're paying attention to everything mm. and i think that's what when you get older you you've seen it all before so you pay slightly less attention and i wonder maybe people are feeling like this year's taken so long because they're having to pay more attention to these bizarre new circumstances yes. yeah it must be must be very confusing if you're really young to to uh, to have to grow up through this because you know, you, you learn a lot about people by seeing their face. And if you can't see other people's faces because they're having, and quite rightly, having to wear masks, then it must be quite a confusing time for all those guys. Yeah, but I'm guessing that's not your, your core listenership, Ed. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's a few younger people, but it's mainly, uh, I think it's, I think it's 80, yeah, I think it's 80% men or something like that, which I've had a lot of women on, right. but that's interesting as a, a reflection. Probably guys, probably a lot of sport, sport emphasis as well, yeah, which probably, yeah, but, then, but then, you know, that's a, a burgeoning. I'm taking, I'm trying to take my little girl to play football tomorrow. She's going to watch the start off and see how, oh, she, yeah, yeah. how she feels. I'm trying to coax her into it away from the ballet, but we're not quite sure she's, uh, <laughs> she's a bit oppositional to me in, in that sense. But it's, yeah, it's an interesting <laughs> one. And um, one of the things as well, and it depends on your psychological sort of construction in terms of being an introvert or extrovert where you fit on the spectrum mm. but isolation has been a real thing for some people this year yes uh, yeah is that been the most testing thing that people in survival experts find you said you alluded to that when the 
Japanese soldier. It was the last six months when he was completely on his own, but then it became the biggest challenge out of 30 years. Yeah, it, it tends to be. I mean, the, the United Nations have defined isolation as potentially equivalent to torture. You know, if, it, if we were to inflict it willfully on somebody, it could have that, that severe an effect on them. But I think at the moment, because of, we're, we're so lucky to have all this technology and the ability like we're doing now to chat or to Zoom or, or you know, to yeah. FaceTime your friends, that breaks that barrier somewhat. I mean, I, I know people are getting fatigued from doing all these face calls now, but <laughs> imagine, if we, imagine if we didn't have it. Well, we're, 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 doing, we're doing it on Zoom, but audio only. And I find audio only some, <laughs> slightly less fatiguing. I don't know if you found that. It's an interesting, the, the subtleties of it. Well, I wouldn't have had a wash and a brush up if I'd have known it was audio only. I mean, <laughs> I'm in my black tie, especially for you, mate. Oh, bl blimey. <laughs> I'm sat here in muddy tracksuit bottoms, actually. I got back to the run about 10 minutes before we called. So. You're a pro. Yeah. So, so I think, the, so to back, back to the point about isolation, it has been proven to be one of the most significant factors. And, and one of the examples that I, I wrote about that we, I think we might have spoken about last time is a guy called Alexander Selkirk, who is the person that Defoe based Robinson Crusoe on and he mm. was marooned in the sort of South Pacific off the coast of Chile for four years wow. and when he was when he was found by some uh, British sailors in 1707 or 1709 something like that he was absolutely physically at the peak of condition you know talking about athletic physique he could run across the island he could you know he'd lived really well it, the island was temperate it had feral goats on it so he had no shortage of water protein carbs he was living a really good life very healthy outdoors existence but mentally he was broken and when the guys met him on the beach he just collapsed to his knee to his knees weeping and just in a really hoarse voice went marooned because wow. he hadn't had human contact for four years and it was that that he missed and that's we're why defoe's animals, novel was so yeah. popular yeah yeah, animals, yeah yeah that's um yeah, and I think we, we, we live in sort of smaller groups than we would have done otherwise. I think we'd have been in sort of tribes of 40 or so, wouldn't we, potentially? Mm, that's so we, right, yeah, they reckon, we don't they? I think the, the, the maximum amount we can properly cope with is somewhere about 200 mm. in terms of who we remember. And I mean, obviously, Facebook and, and those sorts of things are, are cheating because it's all written down with a photo <laughs> memory jogger, isn't it? But that's why that might be partly stressful, actually, social media. And actually, going back to the physiology, we're talking about the head down thing and how that's a defeatist sort of physical um, mm. position. And I, I read some, somewhere about that, how that people might think the, the mobile phone and people may have talked, reverting back to Netflix is a familiar theme, but the social media yeah. dilemma has talked about the stress-inducing effects of social media. And actually, I wanted the yeah. physical position of looking on your phone when you, everyone tends to be head bowed, don't they? Whether that affects people they do. as well. Yeah. yeah, it's true. So there's probably a couple of things happening in combination there. Mm. And there's a, there's a really good book called Irresistible, which deals with all that kind of how to detox and, and, and strip away some of those elements and, and try to live a more chin up, head up, shoulders back, healthy existence that isn't screen bound. Because mm. a lot of the people who invented this technology refuse to let their children use it. Yes. Yeah, well, that, that came through the documentary, actually, Social Media Dilemma. Very much that's the, the case. It's what's your, your take on it in the long term? Because I, I, I believe you've been able to get out and do some physical drills with, with, with soldiers and the survival aspect of it. But do you feel that we are going to enter a new world where this surrogate technology, the communication, is going to replace it? Or do you feel we're going to long more for the, the subtleties, the sort of warmth, the body cues, the, 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 I guess the joy of being face-to-face -face with people? Do you feel that this has got us through, but perhaps it's not going to be the answer long-term and we will want to go back to, say, a workplace and a communal space? I, it's a good question, Ed. I'm, I'm an optimist and I, I believe I'm a realistic optimist. So 
this isn't a cop-out answer, but what I think will happen is a kind of a blending of the two where we take the best bits of both. Because mm. there clearly is no need now for people to drive or fly <laughs> the length and breadth of continents and countries for a face-to-face meeting, which ten could minute, be done. Meeting, yeah. <laughs> exactly. But people would in the past, wouldn't they? They wouldn't think twice yeah. before the pandemic about driving for a day, staying in the hotel, doing a two-hour pointless meeting and then driving back because it kills time and they're not actually working, but they can say they are. Do you think if it's a really important meeting, you might sow a deeper connection, though? That's what people may think, isn't it? That's the interesting dynamic of it is that maybe just that sort of twinkle in your eye, shaking someone's hand, you know, when that's... Yeah. Everyone's hands being sanitised, of course, and probably a glove, (laughs) but, you know, post-pandemic, how those subtle things may affect it. Because there's this... You you mentioned quantity over quality, didn't you? And I know people sit on team schools now for eight hours, nine hours a day, sedentary, Mm. that's not necessarily good for them mm. either and, and, they, and i'm not sure whether they feel sometimes they're getting quite the productivity and they're having unnecessary conversations as well that otherwise would be done at the water cooler or something as a, a sort of throwaway conversation yeah and I, but but equally in my experience of it which isn't as expansive as some, some of the other people you chat to but my experience of it has been that the meetings conducted via digital means tend to be more efficient and that might be a a military thing it might be that mm. people don't want to hang about on it or that our uh, our, our connectivity is not amazing but it, it's that we, we yeah. won't waffle as much as people used to indulge and waffle when they were there all day so why not fill it yes um, so I, I do think there are definite distinct advantages to this and i like some of the things that the royal air force have put out about minimizing time at meetings and not unnecessarily asking people to attend if they don't need to and mm. the other bit of it the, off the back if it's a meeting, I do believe that it should be something that has a record of decisions, not a, a minutes of what the waffle was. So <laughs> get, you know, get to the point, decide what it is you want to talk about, talk about it, come to some decisions, and then inform people afterwards. Yeah. So I, I'm hoping that there's a drive for a kind of a, an efficiency that comes out of this. But I do think there'll be a blend. So to sort of answer the question, there is always a time for that um, face-to-face meeting, I agree. And mm. I suspect as well that there'll be a real boom in people coaching um, new users to technology to in how to have better digital interactions. I'm sure yeah. there'll be money to be made by people doing that. Don't wear money. So, don't wear money tracksuit bottoms on a big Zoom call. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. Don't put your best dinner suit on either. And so it's like it's that kind of like we were saying about so many of these things. It's neither black nor white, or, or it's somewhere in that grey space in between. And I I think that there'll be some good comes of this. And I I certainly don't foresee slugging up and down motorways to do face-to-face meetings that could be done digitally anymore but equally like you've said if it's something really important you know mm. that is better conducted with a bit of physical presence like the chats we gave at um, Cheltenham the other summer yes you know, they, they, they tend to be much more engaging if they're seen on a stage in the round so there's yeah. still definitely going to be the opportunity for that kind of thing I don't think a lot of the literature festivals I've done this year have been um via digital means and they're, they're great to get the message out there but i don't think you get the kind of engagement that you would in a physical space no so i do think there's a sweet spot and i think it's down it's going to be down to when we've got the luxury of choice to preference but equally with a kind of an environmental hat on we, we, we love our green spaces in the uk and they've been so beneficial to us it mm. would be it would be inappropriate for us to a burn a hole in the sky using too much petrol and diesel to cover we're, we're all going to move to all the londoners are going to move to cornwall john <laughs> <laughs> you worry about that they're going to they're, they're, they're going to come down they work on zoom yeah. they'll be they'll, they'll pack yeah. out cornwall ruin your That's, well uh, isolation. Place to them. i don't blame them yeah yeah it's the but best that, part of the world why not well, it could be an upshot couldn't it i suppose that flexibility for people particularly with affordability yeah. over housing and stuff is a practical, I think practical so. element to it yeah and, and energy and time fun. 
And what we talked about, yeah, time, totally. Using your time, totally. Using your time the best you can while you're here, and, and sometimes being sat in a traffic jam, like I've been yeah. on the M- M40 at times. You think, well, is this the best, oh. use, best use of my life? It's, uh, it's yeah. a strange one. Um, it is. But yeah, do you are you optimistic that once we because it, it has been protracted now? But you mentioned what happens when mm. when the pandemic passes, and it will pass. Is what the upshots are? Do you think there'll be a an, in terms of maybe accidentally a stoic appreciation, perhaps of of the better things in life. You mentioned nature, yeah. you mentioned our families yeah. and a gratitude that, that people say is always deeply rewarding to be grateful for what you have. Do you think that will, will come to the fore? I suppose there'll be a celebratory feel as well to it, maybe. I, I really think that's what will happen. I, I've got a very um, high opinion of our species and I, I believe the majority of us, the vast majority of us will, will end up being grateful, taking the time to appreciate what we've got and um, you know, respecting time and and the assets around us with, with a lot more care than we we would have done before the pandemic. I do really believe that, and yeah. I, I think it's just the the fact that we've had a we've had it really good for a very long time, and it's a little shake of our so, uh, our social tree. But it's been it's been very very difficult if you've been in the, the worst places. But I, I do believe that there is a such thing as post traumatic growth, and that after this regardless of the level of trauma people have been through whether it be the worst kind or you know like bubbling along at the bottom level there'll be some growth that comes of it and i do believe it will be a positive growth i do good good and the health legacy as well i feel that maybe you know it's woken us up to our sort of vulnerability and looking after ourselves like i guess you know air force pilots have to, to monitor their weight and, and survival aspects to it as well but to be prepared for those situations because if you're not physically capable you can't necessarily get out of them can you yeah it's true and, and there are limits to how um how big people are allowed to get before they become too big for the ejection seat so you know there are those sort of strictures on it but i do believe that the health and fitness part of it will be present in people's minds but equally i think people are going to be much more grateful for the nhs yeah people won't take that for granted anymore yeah and if we look after ourselves we look after that that's a sort of yeah a rounded thing so um philanthropic aspect to it john hudson been an absolute pleasure have you got any books out anything at the moment christmas (laughs) that we could is is the other Um, one the original one still in print so if you've got any listeners who have friends or connections in the usa i've got a book coming out in the states on the 5th of january how to survive uh, in extreme circumstances so any american listeners please help yourself to copy that it's available to pre-order now but yeah thanks ever so much for having me again Ed. it's been an absolute pleasure chatting good man been a pleasure 15 percent of the listeners of the podcast i've got some statistics i don't know how accurate these statistics are but apparently (laughs) do listen in the united states so hopefully they can get Probably my, probably my extended family over there all listening and, and clicking on the button loads of times. But, um, John, I really appreciate it. Great to, get, great to speak to you and have a fantastic yeah. And uh, you hopefully we'll be able to meet up in person in the new year and, and grab a coffee. Definitely. Thanks ever so much, mate. Yeah, very much recommend listening to John Hudson, following him on social media, Instagram and Twitter as well. JohnHudsonSurvival.com is his website too. Compelling guy. Great to meet him last year at the Cheltenham Wellbeing Festival. I know he speaks a lot of places. And I think that borrowing of, of people who've been in extreme and harrowing situations and retained some sort of mental equilibrium, acuity, some sort of sense of positivity, and I suppose some sense of distance from the external world. Because I think as we touched upon there, I don't know about you, but in my life, the, the sort of adversity has been relatively minimal. Born well, you know, 40 years nearly after the second world war there have been wars and atrocities in my lifetime but haven't kind of come to my 
front door, so to speak, whereas this is a challenge, isn't it? Liberties that we've taken for granted, the freedom to not only roam around our own countries, but around the world have been taken away. Freedoms to socialise as pack animals, that's been, I think, very challenging for a lot of people, particularly the extroverts amongst us. And that sort of political frustrations as well. Is this the right thing? Is it proportionate? Should we have done it a different way? Is the government sending mixed messages? Loads of things that we can't control. Loads of anxiety producing news, which effectively news, I believe. And you listen to Tony Robbins, this huge self-development guru. He says that there's sort of scientific psychosocial studies of why negative news sells. It's because it's uh, an ingrained instinctive aspect of our evolution that we always take more heed of, of negative things because prim- primarily it could lead to our survival, which it may do in this sense in terms of some of the practical advices around coronavirus, but maybe just the sheer barrage of, of fear-inducing news perhaps isn't constructive for us in this modern arena where there is so many messages coming at us and there wouldn't have been in the primeval world, that's for sure. So thank you to John Hudson for that. Really appreciate his insight. Good man as well. I wish him the, the best over Christmas in Cornwall, as I do you, as I do the sponsors of the podcast as well, Bang & Olufsen of Cheltenham, and Serene AV, specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands, providing solutions based around high-quality customer service and installation. So wherever you are in the world, whoever you're with, especially if you're on your own, I wish you the very best Christmas. Time will pass. And uh, as we say there, try and control those controllables. Look, do the things that make you feel good, the exercise, the fresh air, whatever you can. Speak to people on the phone, connect via Zoom, use it as a positive, Teams, whatever it is technology-wise that you've been forced to connect with people via work, which has, I guess, been expanding in the, in the sense that I've been able to do podcasts and mixed martial arts interviews for my employer, Sky Sports, with people from around the world via those Zoom platforms and so on and so forth. So I think it's there have been positives to this year, but I think generally it's trying to kind of maintain that outlook, isn't it, in the face of those external stimuli and in a way that we haven't had to before, at least I don't feel I have had to. I'm grateful for, for that. And like everything, things pass. But thank you, guys. I really appreciate your support listening to the podcast. And I hope you're well. And if you would like to look at optimizing your immunity, try the supplements from Cytoplan. C-Y-T-O-P-L-A-N is the company's name, cytoplan.co.uk. The discount code is DRAPER10R, D-R-A-P-E-R, all capital letters, the numerals one zero, and then the capital letter R. As I say, we haven't got a a kind of adjacent trial test group, control group for a family that's not not taken the supplements for 20 years. But, you know, we certainly feel that our immunity and our resistance to coughs and colds, the regular stuff has been enhanced over the past 20 years as a complement to a a positive diet, positive rest and positive, um, yeah, positive outlook on life, I suppose. Exercise is what I was seeking there, I think. Thank you for listening to the podcast, guys. Fantastic to have you here. Really appreciate your support. Spread the word if you enjoyed this and rate it on iTunes, et cetera, et cetera. And get in touch if you would like. I'm on social media, eddraper81 on Twitter, ed underscore draper81 on Instagram. Or you can email me at hello at drapermedia, all one word, dot co, dot UK. Thank you, guys. Have a fantastic Christmas.